I'm gonna take uh, another paracetamol. Okay, good plan. It's Friday, April the 14th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and super respectful podcast host, and with <laughs> me today, as ever, is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Floriada Flop. I should not have taken a bite of my You should my not take a bite of your, cheese, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, of your um, tea sandwich. Is there anything French in your tea sandwich? Is it French teas? Have no, you, uh, no. Have done anything uh, to get into the, uh, in, in, into the vibe from the state visit this week? It's uh, Maas Dommer cheese. I, I right. don't know if that's a famous Dutch uh, type of cheese, as famous as Gouda mm-hmm. or uh, Edam. Um, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's just a regular cheese sandwich. Right. Uh, anyway, we're back from our uh, Easter holiday break. We are indeed. Um, yes, fully refreshed and uh, revived uh, well, after, 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 <laughs> after a three-day break. Well, except you're not, because uh, you're still um, suffering from lingering COVID. Or yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not sure if it's COVID because I ran out of cell tests, but right. uh, it, it might have might be uh, it might be COVID. Even yeah. though the RVM has officially declared COVID to be over. Yeah, it's abolished uh, COVID month. basically. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's it it's no longer exists. Uh, no, I'm not. I don't know if if I have COVID. It, I, it could be, but I, I'm I'm just uh, simply not sure. Um, but I've been uh, eating uh, a paracetamol the past week, so I am uh, I'm as healthy as I can be on doctor's advice. So uh, yeah, right. let's, uh, let's just start. I I'm not the sharpest uh, uh, today, as uh, um, because I read f- uh, Florida flop uh, first. Florida, uh, Florida, Florida flop. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And you I, thought we were draining the swamp. Yeah. yeah, and I spent five minutes thinking, what, what, what on earth can that refer to? But now <laughs> I understand. It refers to the Floriade. That's the um, yeah, t- ten year. Uh, yeah, it's 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 organized every ten year, I think. Yeah. it's the uh, world exhibition for yeah, what is it? Gardening, it's farming. It's also for the, the the Dutch like gardening and flower industry. Right? Horticulture, a, a, a yes. A huge, great big jamboree, which uh, th- it takes them ten years to organize, and then it loses a stack of money. And this year it lost so much money, they decided that um, they, they're not going to hold it ever again. No, so. no. Such a shame because, yeah, it's <laughs> such a constant. It's, 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 as long as I can remember, it's been a uh, financial flop. Yeah. Um, I think the last time it was in Haarlem and Meer and the, and the one before that it was uh, Zoetermeer, which are not the best uh, places uh, uh, to visit and this year it was in Almere. Oh, so say, they, yeah, this year they really the, 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 they really went the extra mile literally by, yeah. by hosting it in Almere which I mean yes. if you've got a doomed enterprise the, <laughs> and, and you want to just knock it on the head once and for all Almere would be the place to do that. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah indeed. Now it's uh, it hasn't been a success. They, of course they blamed Corona but yeah um, just given the previous editions uh, 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 it, it's just a, a trend that uh, not so many people as they expect are interested in, in visiting the Floriade. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, this is the last time they will organize it, and um, yeah, we will uh, never see it again. Yeah. Did you ever visit yeah. the Floriade or not? 
I never got round to visiting the floor yard. I know, and um, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's like a sort of um, yeah, one of those things everyone sort of talks about, but never and uh, nobody ever actually goes to. And now, yeah. surprise, surprise, because no one actually buys a ticket and goes in. It's uh, died a death. Uh, so a bit yes. like the a bit like the brown cafes, which we'll be talking about later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, everyone everyone thinks it's important that it's there, but yeah. no one actually visits. No one actually uses yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. and then they're surprised no, no. when it when it vanishes. Um, but going to your job title, super respectful podcast host what on earth does that refer to well this is to do with the quite shocking and surprising revelations in the ad this week that apparently a forum for democracy is an absolute nest of vipers who would have, <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> ah yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah and, and in response to all of this uh, these revelations uh Thierry Baudet came out and said no everything's fine uh, the atmosphere in the party is great and i'm a super respectful party leader because uh, <laughs> the picture that was painted um of uh, of, 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 uh, of him in the ad which uh got the kind of what we call the forum files I suppose uh, was of a, a leader who sort of regularly lost his rag um, uh, was uh, 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 was drinking on duty and then throwing the empty wine bottles at his party <laughs> colleagues uh, in anger there are also kind of uh, various things I mean there's so much to go, uh, to go into um, there's rooms that somebody at some point have made a, there's rooms that somebody at some point have made a sex video um, Baudet also imposed uh, or to, to try to kind of silence any dissent in the party by uh, issuing uh, enormous fines, which I guess does make yeah. him uh, uh, sort of a, a very Dutch politician in that way. Um, <laughs> so at one point, Eva uh, Flagnerpoog, uh, who's now, of course, famous for all her uh, in- interviews on American cable news about the Dutch farmers um, yeah. uh, was hit with a 50,000 euro fine for uh, you know spreading rumours about the party. Uh, yeah. This was at a time when back in around about November 2021 I think Forum went into full meltdown um, yes. when the party holds split up over the revelations about anti-Semitism in the youth wing and Baudet actually couldn't get into the offices because some of his colleagues had changed the locks. Yeah. So um, yeah. <laughs> the, the yeah, Forum exactly. for Democracy so proper just keeps uh, it's a gift that keeps on giving uh, basically. Yeah. And you need to turn off your... I need to mute uh, my notifications because, yes. yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that Molly... Oh, yeah, sure enough, Molly's been... Start, has woken up and started uh, sending three <laughs> messages and minutes into the yeah, in, into the WhatsApp group. That's what's yes. happened there. Um, um, yeah, but, um, I mean, uh, this this article just um, confirmed everything we already knew or thought uh, was happening behind the scenes at Foam for Democracy. Yeah. Uh, I guess the wine-throwing bit was new and also the... Well, not throwing the wine, throwing the empty bottles after drinking the, the Throwing the, wine. the empty yeah. bottles, yeah, throwing yeah. wine. He, he, throws the, 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 he gives the wine to the plants and then throws yeah. the bottles at his colleagues. <laughs> That's how that yes. works. Yeah. And also the fines and the, um, the the threatening to sue everybody. That that was also new information, I think. Uh, but for the, for the rest, it was all everything we already thought we knew i guess yeah and hank otten was uh, given a fine of 170,000 euros oh, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah did he pay that uh, no i don't think he paid i don't think anyone no. actually paid the fines and i don't yeah, think how were, I don't, i'm not quite sure how they were legally enforceable but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um and that uh yeah speaking of the algemeen dagblad uh, that brings us to the uh, op of the week uh but this time it comes from the uh school pupils organization lux yes we have a uh, school pupils union uh, here in do. this country of course yeah. we do uh they published a new language guide earlier this week for schools to make language and education more inclusive and it was algemeen dagblad uh, that got hold on the guide first and put an article on their front page last wednesday with the headline Teachers no longer allowed to greet with good morning, boys and girls. 
That article, or rather the headline, was widely shared on social media and outraged people uh, said that woke has gone too far yet again. Mm. Uh, But when people actually started to read the article, it soon became clear that the guide only contained suggestions and wasn't meant at all as a list with banned words, but it was simply an, uh, an a- but it was simply meant as an effort to stop stereotypical terms in education. Um, more important suggestions, uh, more serious su- suggestions, were to stop using terms such as high or low education to describe different levels. Um, and um, yeah, uh, yeah. No, also, also to say that uh, rather than uh, referring to, to children with disabilities as handicapped, you should uh, say that they have that they, they have uh, limitations or disabilities. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just to just to make language more 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 positive. I yeah. guess. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, 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 to take out the stigmatization because I mean, handicapped yeah, literally exactly. means comes from the Victorian era when you know um, uh, people with disabilities would go out into the streets with a cap in their hands to collect money. And that's where handicap comes. From, so. Oh really? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. More ophef emerged when the next day's editorial of Algemeen Dagblad uh, complained about the short-sighted reactions of Lux's suggestions, uh, which were caused to a large extent by their own newspaper, <laughs> making people wonder if the Ade's editor-in-chief actually reads her own newspaper. Yeah. So, so this was this was a lovely example of classic ophef. First there is ophef, then there is ophef about the ophef, and then there is a follow-up. So yeah, it was um, it was a classic uh, classic uh, uh, yeah uh, week of ophef. Yeah, it was a brilliant kind of like the you know, sort of octopus of opheft, and it just yeah. kept uh, the tentacles kept on spreading. And at the center of this, I think uh, uh, NOS picked up this story, and then they cast around to uh, who should we have as a kind of measured neutral commentator. And they managed to pick the one guy on Twitter who has been like sort of fulminating about this for like four months solid, and writes the words woke and extremists into every single tweet that he writes about yeah. uh, these kind of imaginary straw men that he's constantly railing against. Uh, uh, a guy, do you have to say his name? No, I was hoping no. we could avoid this guy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this person who's on Twitter and very easy to find, and people know who he is. Uh, yeah, basically got got two minutes on NOS um, to talk about it, and then he was cut down to a sentence. And he claimed that this was, even though the NOS had invited him on the new, on the main evening news programs and broadcast him to the nation, he claimed this was an example of ca- of cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is the he is the personification of this meme of 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 this man that is fired at some place because uh, because he said something wrong and then uh, he appears in front of an audience saying that he has been silenced and then he appears in front of a, yeah. uh, on the front page saying I've been silenced and then on TV I've been silenced. It's <laughs> the se- it, he is this guy and uh, yeah, he's the same guy it, basically uh, who, who who you see who who writes who manages to write a column in every single newspaper about how you can't say anything anymore because yeah, the council culture has shut you up. Yeah, and. Uh, and then goes and publishes a book about it as well. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that he was also involved in this op but... Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, he very was. Much. And also just to say that this rapidly kind of descended into a discussion about who was cancelling who, but um, the, <laughs> the students who actually published this report and it was a it was a group of school pupils who, who were recommending better ways to use language in the classroom ended up uh, were invited onto a late night talk show but then had to withdraw because they were getting threats so oh, a bunch really? of like 16 17 year old kids were being threatened by supposed grown-ups <laughs> about the fact that they'd sort of gently suggested that maybe yeah. you know we should we, we, we should uh, we should slightly modernize the terms that we use in the classroom it's uh, yes it's just quite bewildering really do you know uh, who in a distant past was uh, chair of Lux? Was it Mark Rutter? No. Oh, um, then I don't know. Even worse than Mark Rutter. Even worse than Mark Rutter. <laughs> was it Rita Fadong? No. 
No, no, no. It was uh, Sigurd van Linde. Oh. oh. <laughs> that's where he, uh, yeah, where he initially gained uh, prominence. That's, that's where, he gave, where his notoriety yeah. began. Okay, right. Yeah. I'm yeah, taking yeah. a different view of them now. Yeah. Maybe they should be cancelled. <laughs> before, before, before they put in a receipt for nine, nine, nine billion euros or whatever. <laughs> this week, the President of France gets the royal treatment on his state visit to the Netherlands. European Commissioner Franz Timmermans and Farmers Party leader Caroline van der Plas finally chew the fat of nitrogen in The Hague. We've got a menagerie of animal stories for you. And is the writing on the mottled walls for the Netherlands' famous old brown cafes. I love how you emphasize that uh, the Frans Timmermans Caroline van der Plas meeting was held in The Hague. Of course, because, because that yeah, was the whole discussion. Yeah, 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 yeah as yeah. we'll get to. Yeah. Emmanuel Macron was in the Netherlands this week for a state visit that went down like weak old filet American. <laughs> the president of France's trip was overshadowed by controversy at home over his pension reforms and abroad over his willingness to take a more conciliatory line over China, Taiwan, and Ukraine. He gave two speeches in The Hague and Amsterdam, both of which were interrupted by protesters. Both? It, yeah. Oh, well, really? Was kind of, well, technically, I guess, both. Um, in The Hague, he addressed an audience at a Mario Theatre on European sovereignty until three hecklers in the gallery started shouting, I think we'd lost something. Where is French democracy? In um, English? In English, yeah. They yeah, yeah, he was yeah. giving the speech in English, and they heckled him in English as well. Ah, yeah. okay, okay. I thought yeah. if you're going to protest uh, against the French president, at least have the dignity to do it in French. But he was yeah. speaching in English, okay, then, then this makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another held up a banner saying, President of Violence and Hypocrisy. Um, yeah. It's, it's not quite the sort of protest you get in the America where everyone's wishing death on each other, right? But uh, it's, a, it's yeah. a slightly more French, nuanced, civilized type of protest saying, see, I think we lost something. I thought that was a great, great way to yeah, yeah. start well, your heckle. Yeah. If, this, if this protest was held in Paris, I think there would be a lot more guillotines and... More uh, vocal, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, being shown than uh, than here in The Hague, yes. Yeah. Uh, Macron defended his decision to raise the pension age in France from uh, 62 to 64. Which What's is, the uh, pension age in the Netherlands, Gordon? Well, exactly. I mean, that's what he pointed out. He said it's much higher in the Netherlands because in, uh, the pension age is uh, rapidly going up in stages to 67. Um, I've, I've lost track of whether it's is it 67 or 67 and a half now. In typical Dutch I think style, it went up, and went up half, by three, yeah. month inc three month increments. Yes, so at one yes. point, the pension age was like 66 and six months. But uh, I am I am projected to to uh, have my pension at the age of 71. Oh, good. Well, enjoy your uh, many many d decades of uh, working. Yes, yeah. and protesting. Yeah, and protesting against it. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It gets to the point where you're too old to go out onto the streets and protest. <laughs> so the, the, yeah, I guess the problem will solve itself. Yeah, that's their ultimate goal. Yeah, uh, but Macron said, uh, yeah, the, the pension at age of 64 was much higher than, uh, sorry. <laughs> or <laughs> sorry. or but, we are just working so hard that we have no time to protest. But yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Cause it, it, In contrast to, to some other countries, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, Macron pointed out that uh, yeah, the age of 64 is much lower than uh, in most of Europe. Um, the next day he moved on to the University of Amsterdam, where he was greeted at the entrance by a demonstrator singing On est là, which is a French protesters uh, workers song uh, at the entrance, mm. uh, but, but he didn't get very close to Macron because police wrestled him to the ground and led him away, still singing, so singing On est là, even as he was being taken away and quite clearly wasn't there at all, um, as Macron chatted with Famke Halsema and King Willem Alexander um, at the entrance to the venue it was uh, it wasn't the, the police who tackled the protester it, it was it? Uh, the it, security it, guards 
Now it was uh, uh, King William Alexander's uh, personal aide de camp. Right. Uh, his adjutant, yes. So ah. uh, this ceremonially dressed um, uh, a military guy with all these medals and his uh, his fancy uh, uniforms, uh, he, he just tackled the guy when he uh, approached the French president. Yeah, yes. and kind so, of pretty uh, violently put him down as well. He yes, said, so yes, he didn't yes. mess around. He sort of yeah, 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 dragged yeah. him about three three steps before he actually got him uh, got him down. But, uh, it looked impressive, yes. Yeah, yeah, no, no messing about. So, yeah, so, so don't mess with King Velma Alexander, I think is the message from that um yes uh so why else did the fresh president uh make the headlines this week yeah for a number of reasons he, he gave an interview to politico where he banged the drum for his idea of strategic autonomy for europe and this is in the context of his uh, previous state visit to china where he was uh, spoke to his counterpart uh, Xi Jinping for several hours on issues including Taiwan and Ukraine and uh, stirred up quite a, a hornet's nest of response. Macron told Politico that Europe should reduce its dependency on the United States and avoid getting sucked into a conflict between the US and China over Taiwan. He's very much uh, and uh, he's very much uh, in favour of the idea of uh, of a kind of I guess of equidistance basically where Europe is a uh, is a standalone superpower um, separate from the US and uh, China and uh, Mm. We can, um, and, and shouldn't get involved in a conflict over Taiwan. Um, he's also in favour, as he reaffirmed at a press conference in Amsterdam, of uh, the One China policy and uh, what he calls a Pacific resolution to the Taiwan question, um, okay. which basically involves, I guess, China invading Taiwan and yes. uh, Europe not getting involved in it. Um, and, and that, of course, in, in turn sparked a backlash from American commentators who said that, uh, frankly, if uh, China doesn't, want, if if Europe doesn't want getting involved in Taiwan, then why should we get involved in Ukraine? Yeah. Maybe we should just leave yeah. Europe to get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yes, yeah, so Macron's ideas went down pretty well with the Chinese, as you imagine, um, uh, who gave him the red carpet treatment when he turned up in Beijing, uh, and in stark contrast to Ursula von der Leyen, who was also on the visit, but uh, didn't get any red carpets and basically just had to sort of walk down the stairs from the plane like she was turning up at a, uh, at a conference on semiconductors or something. Um, but uh, and uh, Macron's ideas didn't go down so well with other Europeans, such as the Prime Minister of Poland, Matthias Morawiecki, who was on the visit to Washington this week, and he said that Europe should be building a strategic partnership with the United States rather than aiming for strategic autonomy. He said, talk of distancing Europe from the US at a time when tensions with China are increasing, risks uh, threatens to break up the EU, which is against the interests not only of Poland, but also of most European countries. Yeah, I thought Poland wasn't so much a fan of the EU. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, it, yeah, it, 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 <laughs> but, but, yeah, the whole kind of relationship between Poland and the EU has kind of transformed in the last yeah. year. I wonder what's yeah. happened to um, <laughs> precipitate that, yeah. Yes. So how else did Macron spend his time in the, in the Netherlands? Did he go to uh, to a museum? Did he go to a brown cafe? What did he do? Uh, he didn't go to a brown cafe, no, because uh, nobody does these days. But uh, he did He did go to a museum. He went to the Rijksmuseum and looked at the uh, Vermeer exhibition. So uh, yeah, he, he managed to get, he managed to blag tickets for that from somewhere. Yeah. Lucky him. Yeah, uh, one of the few people who has. He also uh, went to the National Monument in Dam Square where he laid a wreath. And I think, again, he was uh, mildly heckled by bystanders. Uh, and also people who just had, were a bit surprised there was such a kerfuffle being kicked up about a, a guy just laying a wreath at a monument. Um, but I uh, also the cultural highlight was undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. What was the highlight of the? What was the? What was the? <laughs> well, oh, undoubtedly the cultural highlight of the visit was uh, Macron um, the, at the state banquet uh, because okay. it was a state visit, of course. Uh, like and uh, the, 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 in, in, and in the tradition of uh, every episode of Asterix, they had they had a big, huge, massive banquet uh, in the uh, royal palace in Amsterdam, uh, yes. and uh, yeah, it, it featured uh, Macron's. Uh, 
uh, quite um, yeah uh, brave efforts to speak Dutch <laughs> in front of an audience that included the king. So yes. after Willem Alexander had opened the banquet in in French, uh, Macron uh, did his best to uh, say a few sentences in Dutch. Uh, so let's have a little listen to that. Op de avond van onze eerste dag in Nederland wil ik graag der Vardeling uitspreken die meid is genoten en ik vreef en alle mensen die ons verrezelen volgen voor der revildere ontwaakst die ons ten die wilt. Ik heb ik apprecieerd ook zeer de öffentlichkeit Varvan, hoe blijk reft majesteit, door ons in het Frans te verwelkomen. Je vous rassure, je vais arrêter là. I mean, it's, it's not the worst speech given in Dutch by, by a French leader. I think that's fair to say. But, um, but at one point... Who, who, I think what are you it, referring to? Well, this, this was uh, 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 King Lodewijk after the French occupation, who famously turned yeah. up and uh, said that he was now uh, the rabbit of the Netherlands because yes, uh, yes. he pronounced uh, Koning as Konijn. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And incidentally, yeah. it was uh, also King uh, uh, Louis Napoleon who uh, transformed Amsterdam City Hall into a royal palace. So uh, yeah. that's also uh, yeah one of the one of the uh, major uh, effects influences of the French occupation uh, yeah. of that time. Yes. So he set the scene for this whole uh, linguistic debacle. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. really did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the highlights. Yeah, yeah. Macron managed to, in the course, in the context of a sort of thirty. 40 word uh, speech uh, managed to uh, mis mispronounce at least three of the words in the yeah. text so, so yeah yeah and yeah. i mean it wasn't that bad i mean you could follow what he was saying um, well uh, if you, you could if you but the nos subtitles time. couldn't because they actually at one point just gave up and put uh, <laughs> yeah. un unintelligible underneath uh, what he was saying yeah so. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that part was unintelligible, I have to say, but the, the yeah. rest you could, uh, it was, uh, you could understand easily, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and after Macron had delivered a few sentences in Dutch, uh, the king, uh, he, he got a round of applause from the dignitaries, uh, <laughs> and uh, the king declared that his command of Dutch was perfect, which I think sort <laughs> of uh, given, uh, yeah, yeah, which I think uh, triggered knowing looks all round, especially from, from the queen. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And also, uh, Willem Alexander also made headlines this week because he has started a podcast series. Oh, has he? Uh, yeah, yeah. In uh, because it's uh, it's uh, yeah this year it's his ten tenth anniversary of his uh, of his reign. Nice. Uh, he was uh, installed as king ten years ago, and um, yeah, to commemorate that he had this podcast series. And in one of the episodes, he confessed that he is a supporter of Ajax. Ah. Um, and. Yeah. Big ophef, especially because where is uh, uh, the official King's Day celebration set to be held this year? Yes, he's going to Rotterdam. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, good so, luck to Willem-Alexander yeah. and um, uh, he will probably be found uh, in <laughs> a... Uh, in a fountain uh, somewhere yes, after someone's thrown a cigarette lighter at his head <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah, we'll um, have to put netting up around uh, the king and queen now as they, as they go through the um, through, through the city to stop their fine old yeah. fans from throwing objects at, uh, at the cortege do you do you remember this incident uh, on I think it was uh, Prinsjesdag a couple of years ago where uh, someone threw a tea light holder uh, to the golden carriage no, uh, I did, I've forgotten that. Yeah, that was that was. I think yeah, more than ten years ago. I think Beatrice was still queen, um, but yeah, he's used to having have flammable objects thrown at his head. Yeah, 
Is that a sentence? I don't know. Let's move on. (laughs) It's been a month since the provincial election, so let's take a look at how the formation processes are going. Uh, The big winner of the elections uh, was, of course, newcomer Boerburgerbeweging, or Farmer Citizen Movement, which won uh, 20% of the votes and became the biggest party in all 12 provinces. Um, According to convention, this meant that BBB was allowed to take the initiative in the formation process and uh, they uh, were allowed to appoint a verkenner or scout that would investigate possible combinations of parties to form a new coalition and make suggestions on which parties should enter the next phase of formal negotiations. Yeah. And so how far have the provinces got in this negotiation process? Yeah, well, most provinces are currently uh, in this phase of formal negotiations, with the exception of Overijssel. Mm-hmm. And also in Utrecht, the Verkenner saw no fruitful combination for majority. Uh, he initially suggested that BBB and VVD on the one hand, and GroenLinks and PvdA on the other, each had to invite an extra party and start negotiating. But this hasn't led to anything, and the formation process is now back at the beginning there. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm striking that uh, they're struggling in Overijssel as well, because that's where the BBB had its biggest majority, right? I mean, yeah. they've got a huge... Yeah. I, I guess the other parties are so small that they actually can't find enough partners um, to... I mean, none of them have got more than three or four seats each, right? So maybe yeah. they're struggling to find anyone who can actually... Uh, who can add to their total. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, ironically, where Baby Bay became the biggest, it is the hardest to find a, uh, a possible majority, yes. Yeah. It's also yeah, c- kind of noteworthy that in a large number of provinces, uh, the CDA is invited to form coalitions, despite the fact that uh, they were the big loser of the election. Yeah. Um, for example, in Zeeland, Gelderland, Zuid-Holland, Limburg and Drenthe, uh, the formateurs there have suggested a motor block. Uh, that's a term we know well from previous yes. um, formations of BBB, VVD and CDA, uh, with uh, yeah, then an additional party required to gain a majority. Um, in Noord-Brabant, Noord-Holland, as well as in Utrecht, VVD and BBB are going to give it a try with PvdA and GroenLinks, interestingly That'd enough. That'd be very interesting, yeah. yeah. Yes, um, and in all provinces, D66 is currently not in a race to become a coalition partner. Well, that's currently the case in seven provinces. Hmm. Yeah, so, so mo- in, in fact, although in terms of uh, the vote share, the, the CDR lost out big to the BBB, actually in so political terms, D66 is really the party that's taken the hit from these elections because, of course, the BBB have uh, been working very hard to exclude them in the provinces, and that seems to be bearing fruit. Yes, but I think that was a calculated risk by Deza's sister because yeah. I think if, if anyone with a political antenna knew that BBB was going to win, uh, yeah, make huge wins, I mean, we yeah. we didn't necessarily expect them to yeah. win in all 12 provinces. And we underestimated the scale of uh, how much they're going to win by. I think yeah, 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 perhaps they did. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was Deza's sister themselves who campaigned with the promise that they would never step into a coalition with BBB. So yeah, it, they are the biggest. So, and, and frankly, there are no uh, coalitions possible without the baby bay as well so yeah um, perhaps the assessor has shot themselves in the foot yeah. with this uh, campaign promise but on the other hand I expect that it was just a calculated risk and that they knew that that uh, yeah, was not going to it wasn't going to be likely that they would be um, in, in, in any um, in any uh, uh, coalition in the provinces yeah, yeah, but um, and and yet uh, Hoon Links uh, um, yeah, are uh, possibly going to go into fo- um, coalition with the BBB in a couple of 
provinces. So uh, it's also kind of surprising yeah, yeah. because from a from a um, um, uh, yeah objective point of view, I guess you would more uh, assume Hun Links to be much more hardliner on the whole stickstuff. Uh, question than than the Zester would be so yeah, yeah I guess that's in Zester they say they have to they feel like they have to defend it within the cabinet especially now that mm. the CDR are trying to shift the goalposts there and they're trying to say within between the coalition partners that we should move because the, the the two big red lines the BBB when was the 2030 deadline for halving nitrogen emissions and also compulsory buyouts of farmers and um, yeah. I guess the, the the CDR want to have um, you know, a lobbying now for guarantees or or reopening the coalition negotiation, the, the coalition agreement, possibly, um, uh, in order to to, to change those uh, deadlines. And Deus Zestic is a party that's saying uh, no. We, we we want to hold the line on that. I guess yes. from their point yes. of view, thinking that if they don't, then they're going to lose masses of votes to Hun Links and PFDR. Yeah, 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 that could be the case. Mm. Yes. So it's uh, more more of a long term strategy. Um, uh, I expect that Deus Zestic finds it more important to. Have power in The Hague than in um, Asso or in Den Bosch. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, um, but uh, you know, if, if we do end up with 12 coalitions at provincial level, the BBB, that's going to cause a gigantic headache um, in The Hague, right? Yeah, well, well, it already does because the cabinet has spent years to find ways to implement the court ordered reduction of nitrogen emissions to protect vulnerable nature areas. And Baby Bay was found specifically in protest of that Council of State ruling in 2019. And now they have become the biggest party in the provinces. So, mm. <laughs> not a good look. Um, uh, the, the awkward, yeah. <coughs> quite, kind of awkward indeed, yeah, <laughs> especially because the government expects. Uh, the, the provinces to carry out their plans. Provinces have until July 1st to submit detailed plans on how to achieve nitrogen reduction in their provinces. But given the new political realities there, it's unclear if that deadline will be met at all. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, Baby Bay will also become the largest faction in the Senate, where the coalition lost 10 seats uh, and now requires 14 seats uh, for a majority. So, yeah, um, more headaches there as well. And on top of that, CDA leader Wopke Hoekstra has said last week that he plans to request a renegotiation of the coalition agreement with respect to the 2030 deadline, um, the 2030 uh, 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 nitrogen reduction deadline. His party has been uh, practically decimated since the 2019 ruling and lost again last month and now wants the deadline to be pushed to 2035, something that is vividly opposed by Deza Sesestig, we already mentioned that. Mm. And after a series of crisis meetings and closed-door live streams, the coalition has now agreed to wait for the outcome of the provincial formations, as well as the upcoming agriculture agreement between the government and farmer unions and a green light from the EU for the cabinet's plans before the CDA will officially request a renegotiation. Right. <clears throat> so the answer to apparently to this crisis has been... Um, uh, generated by the fact that they've uh, been dragging their feet for four years since the council state ruling is just, just to have more delays yeah and once the delays are over they're going to re- request a renegotiation which will e- extend the whole process even longer yeah yeah they want they they, they are delaying uh, for requesting a delay yes yeah, that's, that's what they're doing yes yeah. so uh, a lot of waiting everyone is staring at each other but yeah i think um um yeah it, it, I mean, Wopke Hoekstra can re- renegotiate the coalition agreement now, but uh, if uh, the coalitions in the provinces uh, turn out to be such a way and their agreements uh, are, are, are such that uh, everything they have agreed or re- renegotiated will not be possible 
uh, in the provinces, then they have to renegotiate again. So I yeah. guess it is, in the end, it's, 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 it is a practical solution just not to start all this whole circus now, just wait uh, until you have more information because otherwise you will have a second circus again. So yeah. I guess it makes sense, but yeah, it, it feels like... In the like kind of narrow political delay. sense, it makes sense, but in the broader sense of, uh, yeah, yeah, it just underlines what a complete, you know, um, uh, impasse uh, the, 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 they've managed to get themselves into, basically, yeah. where the, the, there is no obvious way out because, no. like saying, the, the provinces will, yeah, um, uh, will have to come up with these detailed plans, but uh, then the coalition parties, parties um, can't agree either. Um, you know, the, the CDR wants to renegotiate a coalition agreement that's only actually sort of about two years old, in the first place, um, yeah. But then uh, Desmond Zestek will almost certainly object to that as well. Uh, meanwhile, you got the further, and of course the, the farmers' associations like the like the LTO and uh, Farmers Defence Force have been kind of emboldened by this victory for the BBB in the provinces to kind of actually harden their line as well. And uh, they, they they sort of you know when, when they because ultimately the cabinet wants to have a land um, uh, an agricultural agreement a Lumbar accord with the farming sector as well as the parties because the farming sector itself now is taking a much Farm a harder line. It looked as if um, it was um, quite well disposed towards the suggestions by Johann Remkes um, of, um, um, on 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 how to solve the nitrogen crisis. But now they're they're sort of saying, you know, we 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 will not accept compulsory buyouts. We will not not accept a twenty thirty deadline. Um, yeah. So the whole process got just got a lot more complicated. And uh, you know, all the uh, all, all the kind of moves towards consensus have now um, uh, you know have been, have now been uh, watered down. By um, uh, by the fact that BBB has become a major player. And speaking of the BBB, the party leader Caroline van der Plas um, has been uh, uh, busy meeting uh, political leaders, and uh, she had another date this week. You know. Yes, uh, the leader of uh, the Boerburgerbeweging had, uh, as we said, busy weeks because she had been meeting with Prime Minister Mark Rutte and CDA leader Wopke Hoekstra. Uh, and after the election, she also said that she wanted to meet first vice chairman of the European Council, Frans Timmermans, who is also commissioner of the European Green Deal and Climate Action. He has a lot of, uh, lot of job titles. Mm. Um, he, he, he can be welcome on this podcast. Uh, now come to yeah, think of yeah, it yeah. with all the job titles. Yeah. Um, she really wanted to meet him personally to see for herself what the EU is actually wanting. And after a small op-ed, who was going to travel to where? It was Timmermans who finally came over to The Hague. And after their meeting, uh, Timmermans said he had been encouraged by the BBB's commitment to stick to EU rules, uh, which is somewhat news, I guess, yeah. because they have been highly critical about you know all these uh, nitrogen emission requirements and... And now uh, Timmermans says that they are actually willing to to stick to the, to these requirements. Um, and Van der Plas said that her suspicion that the EU is more open to alternatives than the cabinet and other parties seem to believe has been confirmed by her meeting with Timmermans. He described BBB's own proposals for alternative ways to meet the targets as not a fairy tale, which they all interpret it as a compliment but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that is interesting because that was very much what uh, Desen Zestig was saying that uh, the, 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 the alternative proposals by the BBB were completely unrealistic and um, ah. unworkable right so okay well yeah. in that context it is a compliment I yeah. guess um, so yeah he, he regarded their, their alternative plans as realistic and as reasonable I guess uh, but he did emphasize that the nitrogen problem has to be tackled 
but it is up to the, the member states themselves how to do this. And the government sees buying out farms and other businesses which uh, are highly polluting as the best way of reducing nitrogen emissions and has hinted that compulsory purchase is on the cards. But BBB and Van der Plas oppose any form of compulsion and yeah, that is one of the main breaking points they have uh, Um, they have said before they will uh, support any of the nitrogen um, uh, uh, plants. Yeah, yeah, but the um, uh, the, the government's researchers, like the um, uh, the uh, plan, uh, plan bureau for the leefomgeving, that uh, the, the sort of environmental planning agency, have said that you you need you need to have the option of compulsory buyouts uh, because voluntary voluntary arrangements uh, are not going to do it this is you know you're not going to achieve the kind of scale of uh, nitrogen reduction if you don't uh, have some kind of compulsory measure so at some yeah, point good luck to everyone <laughs> yeah yeah so at some point that's going to come back we're going to come back to that point and uh, yeah i think that that i suspect is a point where all these kind of um uh, talks and negotiations are going to run aground but we'll see yeah The government is to appeal against a court ruling that struck out its plans to cut flights to and from Schiphol Airport by 10%. Several airlines took Schiphol and the Dutch state to court, arguing that officials had failed to follow the correct procedure when they decided to restrict takeoffs and landings to 440,000 a year by the end of 2024. The court upheld the objection on the basis that uh, EU, under EU law, a state can only restrict movement at airports once the interests of all stakeholders have been taken into account. But Infrastructure Minister Mark Harbers said the ruling was not in the interest of local residents who've been complaining for years about noise pollution and he would appeal. Sorry, I was looking at the menu of the state banquet. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Or the highlights. Uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance of reading it uh, entirely. Okay. Was it wild um, boar? Uh, let me see. Uh, no, there is meerkat and there is uh, silverback gorilla and badgers. <laughs> Yeah, badgers, oh. uh, storks. They got roasted stork. Y- yeah, 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 some storks roasted. Yes, excellent with creme anglaise. Yes, yes. yes. Was, no. silver, was, <laughs> no, was a silverback griller on the menu? I suspect it was off. Actually, <laughs> no, it's it's on the menu. Yes, 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 yes. But uh, the meat is li- was supposedly a little bit tough. Because yeah, it was yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a bit a bit chewy. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also Schiphol is reducing the number of flights voluntarily, right? Yes, the airport's management uh, ruffled the feathers of airlines, including flag carrier KLM last week, when it announced it was scrapping night flights and banning private jets by 2025. Uh, the CEO, Ruud Sontag, said he wanted to... Is it Sontag? Sontag? What is it? So, I think it's Sontag. Yeah. Sontag, Sontag. Yeah. I think Sontag. It, is, it, yeah. it is the German word of, for Sunday, but it is, pronounced yeah. uh, in pronounced a Dutch in a way. in a Dutch fashion, yeah. Pronounced yeah, by... Yeah, Ma- yeah. We need to get Emmanuel Macron to give us a pronunciation <laughs> lesson. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> The CEO, Ruud Sontag, uh, said he wanted the airport to connect the Netherlands with the rest of the world in a better way and be more sustainable for the benefit of its workers, the environment and the world. But it sounds like it was uh, it was written by by the Lux organization, right? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Schiphol also said it was prepared to drop plans for a new runway known as the Tweede Kaagbaan, uh, not to be confused with Sigrid Kaag, who will also be looking for a new job soon, so it should be called a Tweede Kaagbaan. But, um, uh, but uh, Schiphol... Uh, Aviation experts expect harbours to formally abandon the runway in the near future once he's spoken to regional representatives. 
Airlines have criticised the move. They say it will limit um, the holiday flights and lead to higher ticket prices. Um, uh, but the airport has calculated that it will come as a relief to 17,500 people living in the area, and half of those experiencing sleep disruption will no longer be disturbed. Greenpeace, unsurprisingly, is very happy with the plans, particularly the ban on private jets, which, of course, they campaigned for uh, a couple of weeks ago. This type of transport is shameless in times of climate change. We're glad Schiphol is finally listening, said spokesman Martin Dezio. You might not be able to fly to Schiphol by private plane anymore, but there are no such restrictions on becoming a sponsor of the Dutch News podcast on Patreon. So that's good news. <laughs> as much as we enjoy making these podcasts and trying to untangle the threads of Dutch politics and society for your benefit, it does cost us time and money and we really do depend on the contributions of our very generous patrons to keep going. All new patrons get a special shout out on the podcast and we'll always do our best to answer your questions uh, on air as well. This week, we had a message from uh, Sarah Helen Dorazio, who's been a patron since October, and I think I've probably done a Macron on her name, so apologies for that, Sarah. But uh, <laughs> she says she only got the welcome message uh, last this week, so presumably it was delivered by Postanel via London. <laughs> Sarah, who's from the UK, says she and her French husband are both regular listeners uh, from Amsterdam, where they live uh. for several years. Uh, she says, you guys are our compass and our favourite source for all things Dutch. Please carry on wow. the great work. Thank you. Very so good. thank you to you, Sarah, and uh, for your very generous support. I hope you keep listening, and uh, thanks as well, as ever, to all of our other patrons who uh, make this podcast possible. And if you're not a patron yet, uh, why not put that right by logging on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl now I come to think of it, people living in, in Amsterdam no longer have reduced sleeping hours because of private jets flying yeah. over their home, but hopefully Macron will not visit uh, Amsterdam too often because of that French warship that has been firing salutes, uh, uh, yes. shots <laughs> all morning on, uh, when was it? Uh, Wednesday morning, yeah. Well, yeah. He was in Amsterdam on Wednesday. The so-called Bruine Kroeg, that's a traditional Dutch bar with little more on offer than drink and the occasional hard-boiled egg, may be on the way out as their number dwindles further. No one knows how many Bruine Kroeg are usually associated with dark timbered rooms with carpets on the table. There are, but there used to be one on every corner in Dutch towns and cities. High rents, an elderly clientele and changing habits are contributing to the decline. In the old days, men went to a bar after work at the factory, but that's no longer the case. People perhaps have a coffee during the day and are not interested in spending a whole evening in a bar only to nurse a hangover the next day, trend watcher Wouter Verkerk said. Market researcher Locatus estimates the number of bars which don't serve food to have fallen to just over 5,000 over 10 years. But that figure includes more than the typical brown cafe. According to expert William Pijvers, a brown bar is one that serves a few types of your neighbor and a limited number of beers, serves very few or no snacks and has a table exclusively for regulars and hats will turn when strangers walk in, he said. <laughs> Amsterdam is taking the biggest hit with up to a quarter of such bars had disappeared from the capital in the past 12 years. And earlier this year, local Labour councillor Leon Heinhuis launched a plan to give the capital's brown bars listed status. Mm. Heinhuis wants the unique brown atmosphere of the bars to be preserved in case they are sold. 
Uh, they are part of the city's culture and should not make way for people with deep pockets, she said. Yeah, maybe if if she wants a brown atmosphere, she should go to uh, to to beer cellars in Munich, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't help thinking that sort of the brown atmosphere, the brown bars, has been their undoing. Yeah, it's the thick fog of uh, cigarettes and cigar smoke, which is what gives the brown bars their name because it seeps into the wallpaper, right, and turns it brown. Yeah, well, but unfortunately, yeah. all it does have the side effects that all look the, the regular clientele of a half century ago have now all died of lung cancer and that's why no one else no one's going to brown bars anymore and also that important aspect of a brown bar that you know hats will turn when a stranger walk in that's also a problem because it's not such a welcoming place to go i mean it makes it hard to attract new clients and uh, keep your business going when you're just fundamentally averse to new customers but uh, yeah it's just striking how much nostalgia there was for the for for the brown kuchen in the in the dutch media when this report came out Um, and yet you suspect that increasingly fewer newspaper readers are are going to these places mainly because actually there's somewhere where you can only sit and drink and breathing secondhand cigarette smoke is actually when you strip it down not the most appealing thing that you can be doing of an early evening yeah and a similar thing is happening with the typically dutch uh chinese takeaway restaurants yeah uh, which are also disappearing uh, more and more while you know i'm not saying that you had a chinese takeaway on every corner but i mean it borders that uh, to say the least a couple of a couple of years ago but yeah that's also now proclaimed to be dutch cultural heritage yeah. and it is disappearing more and more by the day it seems um, yeah it's a curious thing that as soon as people stop indulging in a cultural thing it becomes a vital piece of heritage that has to be preserved at all costs you know yeah it's kind of the same way the pfa wanted um strata peach to be made <laughs> uh, uh, an item of um cultural heritage Spring holidays are approaching and that means it's time for one of the biggest cycle races on the Dutch calendar, the Amstel Gold Race. The 252-kilometre race on Sunday will start in Maastricht and roll through the Limburg Hills before finishing in Falkenburg. Double Tour de France champion Tadej Podjica will start as favourite in his first appearance in the race since 2019. Home fans won't be able to cheer on uh, the last Dutch winner, also from that year, 2019, Mathieu van der Poel. He's having a break after winning Paris-Roubaix last weekend. Uh-huh. That race was shaping up to be yet another showdown between van der Poel and Wout van Aert until a puncture put pay to van Aert's uh, hopes 15 kilometres from the finish. In the women's race, the course has been extended and made harder, at the request of uh, Annemiek van Vloten, but she's not among the favourites from what will be her last uh, turnout in the Amstel Gold Race. Van Floten hasn't finished higher than fourth this season, and she fell in the Tour of Flanders two weeks ago, so still kind of nursing the bruises from that. Yeah, and uh, the roads in uh, at the Paris-Roubaix race are so notoriously bad that they yeah. might have well held it in, in Flanders, I think. Yeah, it was absolutely treacherous, wasn't it? So, yeah. you, so you saw constant falls. And uh, for some reason, they did put up these kind of plastic um, barriers to kind of keep the crowd back. But actually, they, put, they, they made the road so narrow that uh, the cyclists ended up hitting them. So Van der Poel yeah. missed one by literally about sort of two centimeters on his run-in as well. Oh, yeah, amazing. I saw yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a spectacular last uh, 20 kilometers of that race, yes, indeed. And there's also been some upheaval in the world of speed skating. Yeah, the Dutch Skating Association KNS Bay is under fire for its Dutch first policy, Netherlands first in speed (laughs) skating. Uh, It wants to exclude foreign athletes from the four professional teams, basically, even though only one professional team has one foreign skater 
but the Kindness Bay argues that teams are damaging the youth development setup by recruiting uh, accomplished foreign skaters. Director Vremi Devit sent round an email at the end of March proposing new restrictions that would ban teams from hiring skaters who were ranked in the top eight in the world or the top four in Europe if they didn't have a Dutch passport. And skaters <laughs> from outside the European Union would be banned outright, and teams that still want to recruit non-Dutch athletes would have to pay a surcharge of €12,500 and submit a kind of sports technical justification for why they can't find a Dutch skater <laughs> instead. So it, it raised a lot of controversy within the world of skating that said this is a sort of very insular uh, road to go down, but De Witt was unrepentant. He said, we are the Dutch skating union and we want to see as much Dutch success as possible when the Olympics are held. But perhaps the best-known foreign skater, Bart Sphinx, who is from uh, the faraway country of Belgium and uh, turns out for the EKO team, he said he thought the decision was short-sighted and pointed out that good foreign skaters also raise the standard for their Dutch teammates. Jos Fassen, chair of the Albert Heijn Zanlander team, which is the most Dutch name I think I've ever seen for a Dutch sponsor for any sports team ever, uh, said such narrow-mindedness had no place in Dutch sport. Both teams are considering taking action against KNS Bay, and Fassen says he doesn't believe the AU would stand for it. It all kind of is all reminiscent of the uh, what happened in football in the mid-90s, uh, where a Belgian footballer Jean-Marc Bosman challenged all the restrictions on transfers, um, which the European Union then abolished. It all seems like uh, everyone is behaving on thin ice right now. They are skating on very thin ice indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and what's happening in football? I heard that Feyenoord is playing Rome again. Feyenoord is playing Rome again. They're not playing in, they're playing in Rome next week. So, uh, ah. yeah, they, they'll be putting up nets around uh, all the fountains, no doubt. Feyenoord and RZ uh, were both playing in Europe this week. Uh, Feyenoord uh, were playing Roma at home, and they managed to win 1-0 with a goal from Mats Vifa. Roma's boss, Jose Mourinho, said he wouldn't lose sleep over it, and his team had the chance to put things <laughs> right. In Rome next week, of course, uh, Feyenoord lost to Roma 1-0 in the Conference League final last year in Albania. Ah. For Feyenoord, it was also the first home match since the infamous Cup semi-final against Ajax, in which Davy Klaassen was hit by a cigarette lighter thrown from the crowd, uh, which made his head bleed profusely. And the Cannes Febe were criticised very heavily for allowing the match to carry on regardless. Feyenoord hung netting around a cab to try and prevent a repeat of the incident. Now I understand all your jokes about nets. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Canfe Bay has tightened up the rules on crowd violence after it was criticised for not abandoning the match, basically. So in future, it says similar incidents will lead to the game being abandoned automatically. And if supporters throw objects onto the pitch, um, which don't actually hit any of the players, uh, the match will be paused and they'll be told mm. if they do it again, then uh, yeah, it will be abandoned. So there's kind of be, there'll kind of be a yellow card for the crowd. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. I hope they will have a stadium-sized yellow card. So That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah. The if they yeah. actually they put it up on the screen that the entire stadium is on a yellow card. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, then yeah. does that mean that if they accumulate enough yellow cards in the course of the season, the fans <laughs> get a three-match ban? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we can work out some sort of system. Yeah. The director of professional football, Mariana von Leeuwen, said, "We have absolutely had enough." So very firm okay. words there from Afrikaan VB. Even yes. though every time it's happened in the past, they've done nothing, basically. <laughs> We've had enough again. <laughs> <laughs> again, yeah. We are shocked that this has happened. Yes. And one other European match on Thursday, that was Azad Altmar, who were uh, going through a bit of a slump in form, and they lost 2-0 to Anderlecht in the quarterfinals of the Conference League. So they will now have to turn that scoreline around um, in the second leg in Alkmaar next week. And in the Eredivisie, Feyenoord will travel to bottom side Kambur-Leerwarden this weekend as they look to hold on to their eight-point lead while Ajax are at home to Emmen. 
Yes, yeah, so now the most important item of this podcast episode. I think we could actually start a kind of mini petting zoo with all the animals yeah. that we've uh, gathered up this this week. Yes, they just kept on uh, accumulating. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. We're not even mentioning the escaped vulture from Blydorp. Yeah, exactly. While track operator Proil has its hands full of trying to remove badgers from underneath the tracks in some 40 places in the Netherlands, nesting storks are now becoming a threat to train services from above. In the vicinity of Meppel in Drenthe, which is a notoriously vulnerable bottleneck in the uh, train system, uh, 29 stork pairs have been using overhead line poles to make their nests, which typically can weigh hundreds of kilos and can easily fall onto the tracks or on passing trains. The poles are dangerous for the storks themselves as well because there's a risk of electrocution and train drivers frequently report crashes with the birds around the nest sites. Wim van Ney, who runs Stork Protection Organization, um, which is uh, brilliantly named Stork. <laughs> what does it stand uh, for? I need to know this. Uh, I guess the O is Oifa, right? What's the rest? Yeah. Uh, 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 Wim van Ney, <laughs> Stork. Stichting Oifa's research and know-how. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, he, they, they deserve points best. for that. Yeah. Yes, they did their best to uh, to find an abbreviation that works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or a, a full name that works with this abbreviation. Yeah. yeah. Wim van Ney said uh, that uh, over, overhead line poles are perfect for storks. They offer a view and a safe haven from predators and people as well. They often stay for years and add to their nests continuously, uh, he told RTL News. Storks, like badgers, are a protected species after having all but disappeared from the Netherlands in the 1970s. Special dispensation is needed to remove nests and ProRail will have to offer the birds alternative accommodation. <laughs> so if they want to remove a stork's nest, do they have to take out an anti-stalking order? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and you have to find an alternative pole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder how much uh, stick stuff uh, is emitted. Yeah, in, yeah, uh, in yeah. They'll end up having a, uh, an accommodation centre for storks that will then get, <laughs> uh, over, get overrun and the storks will have to be sleeping on the grass outside. And, uh, yeah. and, and then um, yeah, the, one of the late night talk shows will, 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 will do a live <laughs> transmission from, from the site where people are drinking wine in front of the storks, which are behind nets. Yeah. Huge mm. <laughs> op about it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and ProRail is uh, currently trying to lure the storks to designated nesting poles, but a lack of terrain sufficiently distant from the tracks is hindering their attempts at rehousing the birds. So that's just uh, we're up to date on the storks. Uh, what about the uh, meerkats that are running around in uh, Schavensander? Yeah, one of the animals was recaptured on Saturday after it was spotted in the kitchen of a family home in Schavensander. Nico Knecht, <laughs> who made uh, the <laughs> made a made a brilliant photo yeah. of that animal walking around in his backyard. Yeah. Uh, he used a basket to catch the meerkat, receiving a nasty bite for his troubles. There was also a brilliant photo of him. Uh, sticking up his thumb, which was uh, uh, all covered in bandages. Um, <laughs> and the animal has now been taken to an animal sanctuary for health checks, after which it will be transferred to a new home with other meerkats. Three meerkats escaped from a private zoo, the private zoo of retired businessman Jan Knoppert. He said that they need to be with a group because meerkats are social animals. And according to local animal charity Stichting Dierenhulp Westland, one of the remaining meerkats has sadly been run over Oh, no. And the third remains at large. So one KIA, <laughs> one MIA, and one POW. I, I thought when I saw this KIA that it had been hit by a Kia, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I think I, I suspect an electric Kia, yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And uh, Kia there have Nero. been uh, more casualties uh, this week, or rather last week. 
Yes, uh, unfortunately, silverback gorilla Bukito has died unexpectedly at the age of 27. The Rotterdam Zoo said Bukito fell ill on Sunday and died while under uh, anesthesia for further research. Mm. Um, he died of heart failure. Uh, has anyone tried to link this to the fact that he got the coronavirus vaccine? Um, not yet, but uh, um, it will we, happen. Should, we, mm. should, we should send an email to uh, Forum for Democracy, I think, because uh, uh, we demand uh, ministers to be held accountable for investigation. This. Yeah. Yes. The zoo said uh, the Blydorp gorilla group was devastated by the death, as are the zoo keepers who cared for him. Bokito made international headlines in May 2007 when he jumped over a three and a half meter ditch and attacked a woman. 57-year-old Petronella Yvonne de Horde was a frequent visitor to the gorilla enclosure and according to her daughter believed she had a special relationship with Bokito. One keeper said the gorilla may not have found the hoarder submissive enough when she sought eye contact with him. And she was left with a broken wrist and lower arm, a crushed hand and dozens of bites. Yeah. But at least um, he didn't throw an empty wine bottle at her. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She could have done that because Bukito then went to the restaurant of Blydorp. So oh, yes. yeah, maybe he, she, he could have grabbed one and thrown, thrown one. Yeah. But he was her. more civilized than that. Yeah. He was more civilized yeah. than that, definitely, <laughs> yes. After the incident, his enclosure was uh, yeah, improved. More safety measures were implemented, making the word Bokito proof the 2007 word of the year. Bokito was born in Berlin Zoo and raised by hand in Germany. He was sent to Blydorp in 2005 as part of a European breeding program. He fathered 10 babies, the most recent of which was born in February. And I think in his time in Berlin, uh, Bokito also escaped twice in that zoo so yeah, right. we could have seen that coming when he was moved to Rotterdam yeah if only they'd uh, actually um, you know, restrained him properly after you know, the first time he broke out and uh, gave a speech in a Munich beer hall then maybe all of the, the unpleasantness afterwards could have been avoided yes and uh, I forgot to put that this in the script but yeah we also have to mention that a baby wombat was born in Brabant's yes. uh, best zoo what officials say is a first for the Netherlands. The infant was first spotted by a visitor when it poked its head out of the mother's pouch earlier this month. Zoo staff didn't know exactly when it was born, but it is believed to be the first wombat birth in a Dutch zoo. Yeah. Its parents arrived in Best in 2021 and are thought to be the only wombats living in captivity in the Netherlands. Uh, the baby wombats are extremely small and remain in their mother's pouch for several months. Hmm. The wombats are doing well, the zoo said in a statement, and the youngster sticks its nose out regularly. Ah. So, lots of, uh, lots of animal news. Well, it's, it's nice positive animal news to end on after that. Exactly. Some sad stories, some positive stories. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, some, some sad stories, some violent stories, but also some nice stories of cute baby wombats. Yeah. And that's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the <coughs> liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out and uh, allow uh, Paul to keep uh, buying paracetamol, please subscribe <laughs> to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can now also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Darroch, and we will be back next week. Music